I'm Shannon Paradis, your host and founder of Learn, Laugh, Leap. I'll be bringing you content about self-discovery, how people find their purpose, live joyfully, and make an explosive impact on those around them. The podcast at its core is centered around health and wellness, but I want to start by learning from people that light up my life personally, laugh a lot, and then I want to have conversations with people that change the way we dream and empower us to leap forward. I'm so excited to take you on this journey with me. Let's leap in. Bryson Ulrich has generously graced us with his presence to offer insights into his firsthand experience with a very serious disease and how he overcame it. While this podcast is about health and wellness, it's so important to raise awareness about some illnesses that are out there that there is a way to to improve. And with the technologies that we have nowadays, it's um, we're living in a really good time, I think. So I want Bryson to share his story about how he overcame this. Hi, Bryson. Hi, Shannon. Thank you so much for joining me. So I want to start out just by having you share September 2016, you were diagnosed with stage one testicular cancer. So how did you even find out that you had it in the first place? It's an interesting start. I had some discomfort for a couple of days and I kind of just felt like my son had kicked me. I mean, at that point, and it happened before, frankly. So I, I kind of felt like he got a little jab in there at some point, whether it was in the middle of the night or something. I finally, you know, it was increasing. One night I decided I'd feel around a little bit and I found a hard spot and a lump. Nothing seemed good about it to me. It didn't seem right. So I, I had my wife kind of check it out too. And she was like, oh, there's nothing you can do tonight. Just go to bed. And of course, that's not what I was able to do. And I spent, you know, a couple hours Googling and all that. And the next morning I ended up finding a doctor, Dr. Phelps. So I felt like that was probably a pretty good sign that he was, that he'd know what he was doing. What a coincidence. (laughs) So I found Dr. Michael Phelps and I thought he'd probably be pretty good. (laughs) We got an ultrasound done later that day. And right away I knew, I could tell there was something on the screen. Really? So it doesn't take a scientist to know that there's something off. No. And the radiologist came in and kind of tried to awkwardly tell me, yeah, there's something there. And I'm like, I see in the research, I already know it. They can't biopsy it. And that's one of the interesting things about testicular cancer is because it's such a sensitive area and there's such a high risk for potential spreading. The first course of action is removal, which is an orchiectomy. The next day I saw a urologist mm-hmm. and the day after that I had my orchiectomy and I was off for out for about two weeks then recovering. Oh my gosh. So that was hard and fast. Yep. Like they did not waste any time. And they go in through your they go in right through your abdomen, right above your pelvic bone. That was one of the interesting things about it. I feel like I haven't done enough reflecting in my in the my ability to cope with certain things. There'd already been a lot of life change in the, our last three to five years, really, with some moves and getting married on having Everett, our son. We got handed this and it was kind of no turning back. We just had to go. It was a difficult thing to try and cope with in the moment, as well as changes that then started to come about with it. 
Well, yeah, I mean, do they even have you go in in between before you go in for the orchiectomy to discuss like after and maybe even some of the things that you're feeling? Sort of, yeah. And it's something that I've dealt with later on. There's no good way of judging baseline where they don't necessarily care about some of your your unique factors that maybe make up some of your personality and who you are and what, what you define as normal for yourself. Mm-hmm. That's just insane. So what is the recovery time for that procedure? That was a regular major surgery. So it was a decent sized incision above my abdomen. From there, I went into surveillance, which was blood labs where they're looking for tumor markers, which was cleared the first time around. And then the second time around, it showed that the cancer actually had spread into my lymph node abdomen. They had discovered a 1.7 centimeter tumor there. And to them, was that large? Not necessarily. The biopsy of, of the tumor itself showed that it was a non-seminoma tumor, which is the most aggressive category. Jeez. So if I hadn't caught it when I did, it could have been much, much worse. Okay. So what did they have you do once they found the lymph node? From surgery, I started you know, really getting into a couple of different lifestyle things. Diet had always been something that we semi-focused on um, in terms of food quality and sources. I would say it was maybe like a semi-paleo kind of diet. Okay. And I hadn't been exercising as much as I had in the past as well. So that's where I started getting more into exercise. And then going into the diagnosis, then the second diagnosis and being told it was stage two, that's where we then started really looking into treatments and what, what would be the best option for us. So the paleo diet was more intense. You stuck to it harder and faster than you did maybe before. I started to really keen in on ketogenic oh, yeah. diet. So a lot of that and intermittent fasting, a little bit more serious about some supplementation and kind of other additions to the diet. Was this all your own research or did you have a functional medicine doctor that was guiding you in areas of diet and exercise? A lot of it was uh, just on my own, diving into the internet and blogs and forums and podcasts. And then uh, later on, since then, I've I found a functional medicine doctor, naturopath, who I I really enjoy uh, his perspective and just what's Mm -hmm. worked for him and my body. Interesting. What is it that he guides you in? A lot of it is balance for what my normal is, I think. It's different for everyone, and I think that that's one of the challenging things in the areas of nutrition and even self-help and personal growth is every person is different and unique and what works for one might not work for someone else. But what I found is that I really do well with high fat, low carb diet. And in particular, staying away from beer, which is unfortunate. I'm a huge (laughs) hothead, a beer geek uh, and home brewer at the time, as you know, from our past. And so it's something that I've again, had to kind of relearn a little bit in terms of my new adult life. But uh, it's definitely been a big help for not only feeling good, but continuously, but truly elevating my overall experience of life. Can we take a deeper dive into the ketogenic diet? I'm very familiar with it, but I don't know what it does to help reduce cancerous cells or inflammation. Like, do you know kind of the the effects and why that high fat, low carb diet is best? There's a lot of new research. Dr. De Agostino, he's a big one in regards to cancer 
research in the ketogenic diet specifically. But one of the big things about the ketogenic diet is the way that it helps your body process oxygen. The other big thing is that research seems to be showing that cancer is fed by sugar. So if you are automatically reducing your sugar intake and your overall simple carb intake, you are feeding the cancerous cells much, much less, and they, they cannot run off of ketones. I went back and watched Dr. Diagostino's TED Talk called Starving Cancer. You should watch it if you get a chance. It's pretty short. He suggests a non-toxic approach to cancer management, which is nutrition, and more specifically, a ketogenic diet. He talks about how the brain can use ketones for energy rather than glucose as an alternative fuel source. Since cancer cells use glucose more than healthy cells, Sugar addiction is the Achilles heel of cancer cells. So if you starve those cancer cells of sugar or glucose using a high-fat, low-carb diet, you can prevent or effectively manage the cancer. Diagostino quotes Hippocrates at the end saying, let food be thy medicine. And I completely agree. Did you feel like you had a lot of sugar in your diet prior to the diagnosis? No, not a lot of sugar, but a lot of protein. Again, I don't know necessarily all the science behind it, yeah. but there is science, I believe, uh, <laughs> that, uh, that your body starts to turn protein into carbohydrates, into glucose via your liver. So when you're eating a high protein diet, which I had been doing since probably when I was 18 or 19 and working out and drinking whey protein shakes and eating lots of eggs, my protein intake had always been rather high versus what my saturated fat intake should have been and what I've, what I've kind of landed on now. Are you telling me that eating a lot of eggs is bad? No, I don't oh, think gosh. so. I think eggs are great. I think it depends on the quality and where you're getting them from though. So you live in Portland and I know there's a lot more advanced stuff happening in, on the West Coast. So do you feel like you have more access to fresh produce? Yeah, Portland, Oregon is a great growing environment. Stuff just seems to sprout out of the ground here. We belong to a great CSA, so we get weekly veggies. We also actually have a pretty great source for local grass-fed beef. When you started making the changes in diet and exercise, was that after the first diagnosis or in December when they found the lymph node? A little bit of both. So I started to hone in on keto and intermittent fasting after the original diagnosis in the fall. I also then started to take some adult swim lessons to <laughs> lap swim. I felt like that was a good winter activity. So I said, this this sounds like a great relaxing sort of meditative thing. I'm also a big Tim Ferriss fan. Tim Ferriss is all about total immersion swimming. He attributes his success to swimming in open water to immersion swimming in his book, Four Hour Body. I decided I'd, I'd kind of try that out. What is immersion swimming? It's a style of swimming that focuses on form and basically ease and comfort through the water, okay. um, as opposed to going as fast and as hard as you possibly can. The concept is to make a hole in the water with your front hand and then pull your body through that small hole as best as possible. And did that seem to help as a meditative practice for you? It did. And just being in water actually felt really comforting and soothing as well. Water has pretty magical powers in general. 
So that repetitive nature of just doing something back and forth started to help ground me a bit. And I started then meditating more too, which I actually had started doing at a really young age via my karate practice. Getting back into meditation, because it's something that I had lost along the way, kind of really helped to ground me as well. What, what else was going through your head at this time? Honestly, I felt like I had passed it. In between the fall and January, I felt like I was on the road to true greatness, back to wellness in general because I was being really strict from a diet perspective and really getting back into exercise. So it was really hard to find out in January that it was back and that I was going to be out of commission for a good couple months. So they had you doing chemo. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we went through a little bit of uh, shopping, if you will, for treatment and for clinics. We quickly landed that chemo was the best option, just getting into some of the history of it and the success rate. There's one main school of thought regarding chemo that Dr. Einhorn out of the University of Indiana developed a number of years ago. And since then, the success rate has been through the roof. It's one of the most successfully treated cancers around. But before Dr. Einhorn's protocol, it was a potentially fatal cancer. So tell me about the treatment. We landed on OHSU, which is the Oregon Health and Sciences University up here, and they have a great cancer research facility and program. It's actually the Knight Cancer Institute of Phil Knight, the co-founder of Nike. Oh. A couple of years ago, he raised $500 million and matched it himself. Oh so because gosh. of him, over a course of two years, there was a billion dollars donated to them and their, their cancer research. The main protocol that Bryston decided to go with is the BEP protocol, which stands for bleomycin, etoposide, and cisplatin, which is based from platinum. And it's also the groundbreaking added experimental drug that Einhorn used in the 1970s that has worked wonders for testicular cancer. It's three rounds for three weeks each. The other type of chemotherapy is four rounds of just the E and the P. While the BEP treatment is more aggressive and can have more serious side effects, Bryston just wanted to take the quickest and most effective route to nip the cancer in the bud. So how does chemo actually work? So chemo, you go into uh, the oncology treatment center and there's these big comfy chairs. I had a lovely view most of the time of the Willamette River. You make it sound so pleasant. Yeah, I mean, they do their best to make you comfortable. Sure. There's no getting away from why you're there, but the positivity and the energy of the people that are there there really helps to make the energy. I had a lot of visitors as well. I had a huge outpour from all of my coworkers and friends up here. So I, I had very limited time to myself actually in, in the chair. Like guys, just go away. I just want to fall asleep. No, it was it was amazing. It was really great. What does it feel like to actually have the chemo inside? I mean, can you fall asleep while you're doing this or no? Yes, you can. Because my treatment was such a high intensity and short period versus some of the longer drawn out kind of cancer, I was given an IV every single time. So I definitely have, I've been poked and prodded quite a bit now and I kind of have an aversion to needles overall. It's like getting an IV. You don't necessarily feel the onset, uh, the drugs right away. It's more of a lingering kind of feeling. So you did it for nine weeks total? Yep. yep. Yuck. Yeah, I was really starting to feel it the start of the second round. And then the third round was definitely the most challenging. And I mean, was it gone after that? Yes, you do the three rounds and they check your tumor markers, I believe, while you're going through it. I mean, there's nonstop blood work going on. But the follow up, that's when I was given the full remission diagnosis. 
as of April, you were cancer-free. April 2017. Okay. Has your diet and exercise, just wellness in general, have they stayed the same? What what has changed since you found out that you were cancer-free? Since going through chemo and being very strict keto-genic diet, I lost a decent amount of weight and I was actually feeling good. Right after chemo, things started coming back. My sense of taste started to come back, which you lose your taste buds because they're fast growing cells. Oh, really? Yeah. Stuff starts to taste like cardboard pretty quickly. Spice actually was something that I was always craving. Spice and um, (laughs) cold. So I had a lot of hot sauce. I went through a lot of hot sauce during (laughs) that three month span, which is funny because now I try and eat about the same and I can't even come close. What resources have you found the most helpful? during this time. There's a couple of really key testicular support groups out there. My favorite was the Testicular Commons group, which is a Facebook group that has different doctors. Dr. Nichols, who was Lance Armstrong's doctor, and he was a moderator and he would post comments and feedback. And the interesting one there was really looking at how widespread the disease is across age groups. The main demographic of testicular cancer actually is 15 to 35. 15? It can start? Yeah, the heartbreaking thing that my wife and I started to really dive into as we were coping with and dealing with my disease was that moms were reaching out on these kind of groups mm-hmm. because these kids are so young that their moms are still involved in their health oh overall. That was definitely a really helpful group. Different podcasts, Bulletproof Radio, Tim Ferriss podcast. What is Bulletproof Radio? Is that a ketogenic one? Dave Asbury's main company. They're the Bulletproof Coffee ah. uh, inventor and he's got a company that sells products, but then he's also got a great podcast and blog. And then Tony Robbins as well, who actually I found going into chemo and I really wasn't sure what to expect but mm. I kind of got hooked to some of his content. I was able to connect with one gentleman at work who had gone through something similar so he was a huge resource for me. You mentioned that you and your wife are starting a blog. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so we're starting a blog. It's called awaytowell.com and it's a little bit of everything through some of my history with testicular cancer now and then some other things that we've got going on with her and with our kids that we wanted to really focus on things that we've explored and done and different things for trying to be well. So how often are you planning on posting on there? We're not sure yet. I think for the most part, it'll be social media driven from things that are happening in our life, different recipes, different resources or discoveries of things that we're looking at or doing. Are the recipes centered around keto? Yeah, and other restrictive diets. So in general, some of the major allergens and other sensitivities really focused on some of those kind of core aspects of the lifestyle. I asked Bryston what you should eat a ton of and none of if you're trying to prevent or starve cancer cells. Vegetables and saturated fat for a ton of, I think. That definitely helped me and it's it's a core staple of ketogenic. It seems like a lot of fat is coming towards the ketogenic fad as an FAD, not FAT. So it's kind of interesting to see because it's not really something that big business can really be a part of other than services. So products themselves are starting to become a a lot more um, junky in terms of the quality and some of the true things that really should matter to people. 
And then the other big one is avoiding sugar. It's pretty clear based on what I've seen, what I've felt, sugar and overall simple carbs, grains, those things just don't make a ton of sense in most people's diets. They work for some people, but they typically don't work long term. And just being willing to adjust, not everything works for everyone. So being able to understand what normal is for you and objectively assess how you're feeling and what you're doing and then making trade-offs and experimenting a little bit. Do you run away from sugar? Do you think there's any sugar? in your diet at this point? I don't even eat very much fruit. And if I do, it's usually uh, blueberries or raspberries. And those have low sugar content? Not necessarily low sugar content, but the um, antioxidants and some of the other phytonutrients that come along with Mm -hmm. some of the skins and whatnot seem to do me well. Is there a certain meal that you kind of stuck to that was easy to prep that you can share? One of the big ones that has become a major staple of my my day and my life is bulletproof coffee. So grass-fed butter, refined coconut oil, which is a focus on MCT, which is really a C8 focus. On naturalforce.com, I found that MCT stands for medium-chain triglycerides. MCTs are a special class of fat that your body turns into energy very quick. You can get MCTs from coconut oil or buy them purified as MCT oil. There are three main types, C8, C10, and C12. They each get their names from the number of carbons they have. C8 is considered the energy booster, C10 is the antifungal phenomenon, and C12 is the antimicrobial force. A good option is to choose an MCT oil that contains all three, like an emulsified MCT oil, and put a few drops in coffee in the morning. C8 is is the main one that seems to be the best to maintain uh, ketosis. What advice do you have for someone that just found out that they have a serious illness or maybe specifically cancer? Processing is one of the key things. Do what you need to do to process and actually think about it actively to process and cope. A lot of people are going to be reaching out and trying to help and take advantage of that. But it also feels at times people are doing it for their own peace. Because sometimes I felt like when I was telling people that I was ruining their day, right? I have cancer again. And that I was going to have to be, you know, going through this monumental treatment. And, and so, and that's, that's something that you kind of have to figure out how to, how to navigate yeah. a little bit. And it depends on the person and your relationships. Yeah. That's a good lead in for my next question. What advice do you have for somebody that is in your network? Is there some things that are really helpful um, that people have done for you along the way? Again, I was so lucky to have such great friends and such active participation overall. A lot of meals were given, a lot of um, just overall thinking about you cards. I think the biggest one for me is the sustained follow-up. It's kind of that initial shock. It was nine weeks and it got progressively harder. And, you know, a lot of support was coming out early on, which I didn't, I didn't want to reject, obviously, because everything was amazing. But at the same time, I didn't feel the same level of support holistically at week nine, for instance. Right. So the thing that I regret the most really going through it was not taking enough time again for the coping for myself. Katie was pregnant, my wife, our son was young. And I didn't feel like I took enough time post-treatment and post-remission diagnosis to really kind of take a step back and relearn myself again. And I described it as being a disconnection from my my mind and my body, really. And in a search for normalcy, I, I rushed back to work really quickly, which I felt like getting into a routine and that would help me get to normal versus taking a little bit of time and really trying to, to discover what was going on. Are you suggesting then that someone should take some time before they throw themselves back into work to just kind of reset 
their mind. If they could do everything they possibly could to do that, yeah. yeah. You know, whether it's a walk in the woods or going to some body of water, those sorts of environments where you can just have nothing, no distractions, no music going, no no cell phone to bother you, just to sit for a second and be yourself with your thoughts. That's one of the most powerful things that we can do today. Has there been a fundamental shift in the way that you live your life now? Yeah, there's a couple of big things that I've done on top of diet. Diet is kind of the foundation for me, I feel like, that set the groundwork. The other is figuring out what works for me to create some habits. So I started running right after chemo, and I had never run more than a 5K prior to chemo. Six months after chemo, I ended up uh, running my first quarter marathon, and then I trained to run my first half marathon, which I just finished. Oh, so. And then right now I've been doing more of a group exercise, uh, kind of high intensity training class uh, a couple times a week. And that's just kind of started to build my muscle mass up again. These things that you're doing now, none of this stuff you would have been doing if it hadn't been for this? I would have wanted to have done, but I wouldn't have actually done it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's executing on some things that are really keeping you healthy and strong. Yeah, and just focusing on what I know is going to help me feel good or feel great. Yeah, so I'm excited to see the blog and what you guys are posting there. Is there anything else that you're really excited about for the rest of the year or coming up? Yeah, I've started seeing a naturopath who studied functional medicine and it just started a couple months ago. And one of the big things that I have figured out for myself is that I haven't, I haven't felt normal fully until recently. And that was discovering my hormone levels had been drastically off. So was that through blood testing that he found that? Yep. I had done the, the testing right out of chemo too, to kind of just see where I was at especially for testosterone, I was on the really low, low end of the scale. As I was focused on some of the other natural things that I could do to do that, including just lifting heavy weights, I got it up, but not high enough to where I still felt normal yet. So I started TRT a couple of months ago, which is testosterone replacement therapy. And since then, mentally and physically, I have felt so much better and so much more at home with myself. It's shocking how much of an impact it's had. It's an injection of a testosterone hormone, bioidentical oh. hormone itself. It's helped increase my estrogen as well, which was really low. And those, both of those two together can make or break mood, your personality and mental state, as well as have other longer term side effects in terms of like bone de density and some other things for estrogen. Oh so gosh. yeah, that's one of the interesting things that I was going through as well is my oncologist was great for things relating to my cancer. But as I continue to have clear um, checkups, it was like, okay, now I need to now I need to figure out what what the rest of my health is going to be like and how I can best service this. So that's where I ended up making the, the call to go to a naturopath because things had sped so quickly through to get to surgery. There was no blood work that was done to actually baseline my hormones, and and that happens to a lot of people too. Hormones for men and for women have such a make or break impact to personality and and other things, and they change and fluctuate so drastically from environmental things and just with age that it's such an interesting opportunity for medicine and for science to get into like how how you baseline people how people can continue to track themselves and I would highly recommend that everyone understand where you're at with some of those uh, whether it's sex hormones or other things to just kind of know and be able to own your own health it is incredible the advances in technology that we've made I, I know I mentioned that before and naturopath is a new um, term for me. Is that someone um, that you could see whether you've had cancer or not? Yeah, especially in Portland, I think because there's a major there's a major uh, institute for it. We have a lot of them, and it, he is basically my general practitioner. 
who specializes in natural medicine okay. and can serve to get me into other areas as well. So he focuses on kind of whole body functional systematic medicine. And I think that this is something that we've kind of been missing for generations. Um, when you have that initial diagnosis of cancer, it's all like just drugs and that's your only option versus leaning more in the holistic direction. And while it can be combined with the chemo or radiation, it's probably going to speed up recovery. Is there anything else that you want to share before we kind of close up our conversation? The last thing I'd say is just trust your body and guys don't be afraid to go to the doctor. And that's obviously one of the kind of key stereotypes yeah. for, especially for younger guys, guys going into college, you know, 18 to 21, they don't necessarily even know how to make a doctor's appointment or how to find a doctor and go see one. So the more that you can help the younger guys in your life focus on being their best self, the better your family life is and relationship with them is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. And knowing your body and just kind of listening to it. Yeah, knowing your normal, I think, is one of the important things that I've started to really uncover for myself. So I was researching just like a few weird facts about it in general, and it said that cancer is more common on your left side than it is your right. Really? It was my left side. So, and they said there's no rhyme or reason they can't figure out why hmm. it's interesting because i keep my cell phone in my right pocket i try and have it out of my pocket as much as possible now good point that's something we didn't talk about that should probably be addressed is as much as you can keep your cell phone kind of past an arm's length it's probably better than being in your pocket it's interesting because it seems like everyone is kind of latching on to that sitting is the new smoking i'm sure you've heard that Mm-hmm. Yeah. When are we going to talk about radio waves and frequencies that are high emitted mission from our cell phones and from our wireless routers that could potentially be doing some of the same sort of things to us? I don't know. According to the truthaboutcancer.com, thousands of studies link cell phone radiation to a long list of illnesses, including cancer. Cell phone radiation exposure has been principally linked to two types of brain tumors. If you have to use your phone, take these precautions. Avoid making or receiving calls with bad reception. Put your phone on airplane mode when you're not using the wireless functions. Avoid carrying it in your pocket or anywhere on your body when it's switched on. Use earphones so you don't put your phone close to your head and definitely not a Bluetooth headset, which also emits radiation. So there's lots of things that we can do to prevent. And the more aware that we become of things like this that can cause cancer, the better off we are. Appreciate your time and your openness. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I hope that you continue to stay happy and healthy and this uh, naturopath doctor sounds incredible. I'd love to like look into something like that and I hope that we meet again in California sometime. Yeah, I hope we can get together sometime soon. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure talking about it and I hope, I hope someone learned something today and feel free to reach out in any way. Cancer is never easy and especially at a young age. It's not something that you should take uh, lightly or feel is normal or common, but uh, know that there's people out there that are willing and able to help. 